This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast Swing District Candidate Series. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. Today, Cindy Axney. She is a Democrat running for office in Iowa's 3rd Congressional District, and we talk with her all about that district, about her stances, and about why she decided to enter the race. So after about a seven-mile walk the day after the election, even though I was coming off of uh, bronchitis, I came home and I said, I'm stepping up. I need to do something different. I think I'm going to run for office. So before we jump into our discussion, just a a quick word about what we're doing. This is a limited series we're going to be doing here on the show between now and the midterm elections. I have said it on this program before, and I'm certainly not the only one to say it, but this November's election will likely be the most consequential in generations, possibly in our lifetimes. Democrats need to pick up seats in 23 districts to retake the majority in the House, and many of those seats are in swing districts. And so the purpose of this series is to call attention to some of the Democratic candidates running in those swing districts, to give you an idea of who they are, what they stand for, why they're running, all in an effort to help drive volunteer efforts, awareness, and of course, donations. We will be featuring candidates from across the country. So if you'd like to hear a candidate where you are be profiled on the show, shoot us an email at indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at indivisiblepod. Cindy Axney is a Democratic candidate running for Congress in Iowa's 3rd Congressional District, and she joins us on the show now. Cindy Axney, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you, Stefan. It's a pleasure. So, you know, I want to talk about your background. I want to talk about the district that you're running to serve. Uh, But I'd actually first like to get your thoughts on the special election that just happened in Pennsylvania. It is looking like Democrat Connor Lamb has won over Republican Rick Saccone uh, in a district that has been uh, such a Republican stronghold that Democrats haven't even bothered to field a candidate in recent elections. Um, And it looks like the win is going to hold. We don't know for sure, but it looks like it is. But in any event, Lamb has effectively erase the deficit in a district that Trump held by 20 points. Um, you're in a swing district in Iowa's third. Your district, uh, Trump won your district by five points. And so I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about what all of this signals, both for your district and, and then also for the country in November? Well, first of all, I am so happy to be seeing these wins across the country and the latest one with Connor Lamb. This is fantastic. Uh, I think we're really signaling what we're going to see here in Iowa as well. Uh, We're already starting to see uh, state uh, special election seats uh, being filled by Democrats. And so uh, in areas where Trump won by double digit margins, we're seeing Democrats winning to fill state seats here. So I'm feeling really confident that Iowans are not happy with what they're seeing, and they definitely want to see something different. So I feel that the wave that we're seeing around the country that we recently saw is going to continue. We see every single day uh, people rising up to address the issues that are concerning our nation, gun rights and uh, laws around that that we're seeing now. These are the things that are motivating people to get out to the polls. I see those issues continuing and then, of course, benefiting our race and other races around this country. You know, one of the things that Rick Saccone ran on uh, was the passage of the Republican tax plan. And your opponent, David Young, seems to be doing that as well. I should say your your possible opponent, David Young. We're still in the primary stage. Um, That didn't really seem to work in the Pennsylvania special election. So what are your thoughts there? Well, first of all, that tax plan is not good for this country, and it's not good for Iowa. And as a matter of fact, uh, when it comes to uh, the idea that you can't, uh, no longer can people deduct state and local taxes, 
that's going to put a huge burden uh, in on the people in our state. We're already seeing that. Uh, our state administration here is Republican, and we're seeing massive uh, cuts to the budget uh, and now more tax breaks that they want to bring in here on a state level. We can't absorb uh, what is happening at a federal level and at a state level with these new tax bills. They're passing everything down to the state and local level and just increasing that burden uh, onto our communities. So uh, I'm not pleased with it at all. I don't think it's a benefit. Congressman Young has been sending out emails talking about the positive points that he says are in it, when in, quite honestly, the people that benefit here in Iowa are, of course, corporations and the very wealthy. Uh, and, uh, you know, cor corporate farms are going to uh, benefit, but not our small and mid-sized farms that Iowans actually own. So there's really limited benefit for the people here, and it will actually put us in more, uh, in, a, in a much more difficult place in our local communities. Yeah. I mean, it really does seem like it's not much of a, a winning message at, at this point uh, and is likely to play out the same way as we get closer to November would be my guess. Uh, so let's talk about your background a little bit. You are fifth generation Iowan, as we talked before uh, we started. We uh, we both did 4-H. You did 4-H growing up. Um, you are a mom. You have been very active with the school board. Uh, you work for the state of Iowa, which I want to get to in detail in just a moment. But I'm curious, was there a particular tipping point that made you want to jump into this race? Was there a moment? Well, absolutely. So I've always been involved in trying to help our community do better, whether it's through community activism or certainly my work at the state of Iowa to help raise up the lives of the people that live here. And when we at our last election, of course, I'd been heavily involved in helping to make sure that we got the vote out, canvas called, as I've done with a lot of elections. And uh, of course, was sorely disappointed uh, when uh, when the Dem when Hillary didn't win and the Democrats didn't win. Yeah. Uh, I was really uh, really disappointed with what I saw as the. Uh, trajectory that this country was taking. And so uh, I knew in the past that I wanted to step up. I've done a, a lot uh, on the side, but never as an elected official. And I had the uh, opportunity to uh, reach out a little bit more and help some people who were uh, interested in running for office. And then, uh, you know, kind of one thing led to another. Uh, and uh, this just seemed like a really a good fit for me with my background and experience in actually fixing problems in government, which are piling up. Up on a daily basis. Uh, and the fact that uh, I, I don't give up when it comes to doing what's right. And I really think we need that out in Washington. So after about a seven mile walk the day after the election, even though I was coming off of uh, bronchitis uh, oh, wow. and, and was on antibiotics, I walked. And it was November too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I came home and I said, I'm stepping up. I need to do something different. Oh. I think I'm going to run for office. And that's how the whole thing just started. And I think that's how everything starts is just saying, I need to do something different from what I've done in the past. And then that leads you uh, to something that really works for you and hopefully works for your community. So this is your first time running for elected office. And so I'm, I moved to ask you, do you have political role models? Is there is there a particular figure, either, I guess, living or dead, who, who kind of guides you as a candidate? Well, you know, definitely uh, Tom Harkin. Uh, Tom Harkin is from Iowa. Yeah. Uh, uh, Senator Harkin is the uh, founder of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, he was very much 
uh, in line with the Wellstone philosophy of uh, making sure that everyone had opportunity and raising everybody up. Uh, and that's really how I grew up. My parents met at a church picnic and they taught my sisters and I at a very young age to help your friends and your family, but also help others in your community, strangers alike, because when everybody does well, then our community thrives. Sure. And I think uh, Senator Harkin is a really good example of uh, standing up for what's right uh, and uh, moving forward progressive values that actually benefit people. So do, I, do you consider yourself a, uh, to be a progressive? Yeah, absolutely. I, I like to call myself a pragmatic progressive, okay. uh, somebody who's always going to work towards and shoot for those objectives that we're looking for, but knows how to get things done uh, and uh, can move can actually move the needle on getting us to those outcomes we're looking for. So let's talk about, I, I said that we were going to do this. I, I do want to talk about your work uh, at the state level. Uh, so before starting your own business, and you currently, you and your husband have a design business, uh, you work for the state of Iowa, both in the Department of Management and then later with the Department of Natural Resources. I'd like to talk a little bit about your work in each department and how that would be transferable to Congress, because I think there are a lot of through lines there. Uh, so first, tell us specifically what you did in the Department of Management. Sure. Well, my job really was to direct uh, strategic initiatives for the state and hold government accountable. So a good example, uh, because a lot of people, uh, if you've flown over uh, low enough, you've seen our wind farms. One of the <laughs> things I directed was the governor's agenda for clean energy and the environment and help bring the wind industry here to Iowa and move us towards energy independence. And but, you did that with the Department of Natural Resources, not with no, the Department of Management. No, that was with the Department of Management. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I, I directed statewide complex initiatives. So we had uh, very specific outcomes we were trying to achieve around energy and the environment, you know, uh, education, job creation, that type of thing. So I was involved in a lot of those key strategies. So directing the energy and environment plan was one and helping to bring the wind industry here and also put a lot of people to work. At the same time, I worked on things like community empowerment within our education system. So helping kids who live in communities where there were high levels of food scarcity or low levels of immunization rates, indicators that a child wouldn't be able to hit the ground running in kindergarten. And we know that when they do, they have a better chance of graduating and then getting a good job and, and having a successful life. So that would be, you know, worked on that project to go in and work with those communities to develop government nonprofit partnerships to work with those families in those communities to prepare those children uh, to be able to hit the ground running. So those are a couple of examples. But on the same, uh, at the same time, uh, I worked with the federal government quite a bit. For instance, overseeing uh, the Reinvestment and Recovery Act money under the Obama administration that went out nationwide uh, to help us work on some of our infrastructure issues. So one of my responsibilities was to be the liaison uh, to the Federal Office of Management and Budget and make sure that Iowa was accountable for all those dollars, that we spent them wisely, that we hired Iowa workers, followed things like Davis-Bacon, made sure that we actually were transparent and got the best out of our taxpayers dollars. So I was heavily involved in a lot of projects like that as well. Uh, and so uh, I really have worked with the legislature, the governors and the governor's office, uh, all of the departments. At one point or another, I have helped with strategy. With You just haven't held office. But other than that, you've been interfacing with uh, with the government quite a bit. <laughs>
quite a bit, it sounds like. That's right. That's right. So, so yes. And so uh, I feel, you know, and, and definitely working on policy and writing rules. I sat on a lot of statewide uh, boards and commissions, whether it was dealing with technology statewide, uh, our diversity task force for the state, uh, lots of, you know, working on uh, negotiations and how we can better prepare for bargaining to represent employees. All of those are the types of things that I also did on a statewide level. And then later was at the Department of Natural Resources, and certainly my priority there was to make sure that we protected our environment. And of course, uh, oversaw about 10 different units, including our $300 million budget with a heck of a lot of federal funding lines. So I'm very familiar with the what, how we fund things in, the, in, in our states and how much a state brings to the table compared to federally and how much is put in uh, you know, with fees and that type of thing. So I think those are advantages that I have in getting to Congress, actually knowing the structure on how uh, policy actually gets implemented. Absolutely. Yeah. So you do bring a, a great deal of experience uh, in sort of interfacing with government. So there are a lot of things that transition there, sure. Um, Absolutely. A key focus of your campaign that you talk about on your website is is helping out working families. And so I, I, just for people who don't live in your district, I'd like to talk about some of the issues that working families face there. One of the things that you advocate for is a livable wage. Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, here in Iowa, and, and I live in Polk County, which is our most populated county in the state. Uh, our, our median That's where Des Moines wage, is, right? That's where Des Moines is. Okay. That's right. And our median wage is $16 an hour. Uh, so uh, we, we've got a lot of work to do to catch up with a, a wage that families can actually live on. Uh, so I want to make sure that all of our families uh, have opportunity. Nobody should ever be working 40 hours a week and not be able uh, to support their family. Yeah. Uh, they should be making, you know, have the median wage there uh, so that they can support their family. So I want to make sure that uh, we, we bring jobs like that back here to Iowa. I'm looking at a lot of different options from, uh, n- you know, en- renewable energy uh, jobs to uh, new technology agriculture jobs uh, to make sure that we bring good paying jobs here to Iowa. And then I want to put structures in place so that working women and families can be successful. Uh, we, we have to address affordable child care. We need to make sure that we've got good paid family leave, not just for people who are having children, but for so many of our workers who are taking care of elderly parents and across the board. So I want to make sure that those structures are put in place and then absolutely close the pay gap. Uh, right. right here in Iowa, yeah, we have almost 80% of, our, of the women uh, here work. Uh, and so we've got in our, in our families. And so uh, if we close the pay gap here, we put almost $5 billion into our economy and over $10,500 into the pockets of every single working woman, which would greatly enhance those families. You know, it's interesting that you, that you say that because you have framed that issue as an economic issue, um, which I think sort of broadens its appeal. Uh, you also tie in a woman's right to choose. You have said that reproductive freedom is economic freedom. That, to my ears, makes a lot of sense. But, but tell us a little bit uh, about what you mean by that. Well, when a woman has the right to choose when and how she starts a family, then she has control over her opportunity for her career success and her overall success in her life. It's only right uh, that half of our population has that same opportunity as the other half. 
Uh, so it's incredibly important that we protect that so that women can uh, be in control of their futures, just like men are, uh, and make sure that they've got every opportunity. So uh, I think it's, uh, it's, an, it's an issue of equality, and it's also an issue of our economy, because uh, to, to not pay women equally really is just a really dumb choice, quite honestly, to make from an economic perspective. And so uh, I want to make sure that we address those issues. I want to shift over and talk about uh, guns. You have two children who are school age. Um, and I'm curious, in light of the the shooting in Parkland, Florida, at the school there, um, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on how students seem to be the ones who are changing the narrative on guns in America right now? Well, I'll tell you what. These these young kids, they're absolutely amazing. I'm I'm so first of all uh, inspired by them, and secondly, grateful to see them doing uh, what they're doing. It's so unfortunate that they have to. Yeah. It's it's just so unfortunate that children uh, have to be the voices of reason uh, when it comes to this issue, and that they have to take the burden in fixing this. Uh, I definitely uh, believe that we need to make sure that we have universal background checks, uh, that we uh, it, that we close those loopholes with gun shows, online sales, and person-to-person -person transfers, and then we absolutely uh, need to make sure that assault uh, weapons are off our streets. So I'm so pleased that the kids are out there doing what they're doing. But this is the, this this is the job of Congress, uh, and it's and we that's what our Congress people should be doing. So they're failing our kids right now, and they're failing our nation. Uh, I, I certainly hope that uh, something gets passed uh, that uh, that addresses these issues before I get to Congress. Uh, but uh, if, it, if they don't, it'll be a priority for me to make sure that it happens. Now, I know that gun, gun ownership is prevalent where you live. And I'm wondering when you talk about things like an assault weapon ban, like background checks, I mean, we've seen the numbers on these and we know that these are broadly popular uh, generally across the country. But I'm wondering in the third district, when you talk about the types of uh, regulation that you would like to see put into place to protect uh, citizens, schools against gun violence, how is that received generally? Well, one of the units that I had the opportunity to oversee at the Department of Natural Resources was hunting and fishing licensing. Mm -hmm. So I'm very familiar with Iowa's history uh, of gun ownership for sport and protection. Uh, so I'm very conscious about that when I'm talking uh, mm -hmm. with people in our district. Uh, I know so many people uh, who own guns, uh, who are very safe with those, uh, who take all the right proper mechanisms to ensure that the guns uh, don't get into the wrong hands and who really firmly believe in good training and good safety control. So I know there's a heck of a lot of Iowans out there who are good gun owners uh, who understand their responsibility. Uh, so I'm really talking to them from the perspective of this is not about taking away their Second Amendment rights. This is not about taking away guns from, uh, from people. This is about making sure that guns don't go into the hands of people who are uh, violent, who are going or have mental health issues, uh, and who are causing the issues that we're facing uh, and making sure uh, that we that we do put in things like the background checks uh, even you know people that we that are gun owners here believe in solid background checks sure. and so we know that it's a great way uh, to limit gun violence and so I'm really out there making sure they understand this isn't about taking their guns this is about them 
understanding that I get where they're coming from, that if they're gun owners and they're uh, good with what they do and they, they're safe uh, and they keep, uh, they're, they're trained, uh, that's a very different story than somebody who's going in and just, you know, able to get a gun off the street uh, and ha and is not stable uh, and uh, it has been behind recent shootings. And when I'm talking to the people here in Iowa, I'm explaining that that's the difference. It's not about taking guns away from people uh, here in Iowa. It's about making sure we just keep them out of the wrong hands. So I want to shift over and talk about immigration. Um, you've said that you support uh, DREAMers, and you've also said that you support a pathway to citizenship for immigrants who are already in the country, those uh, without a criminal background. And so speaking of attitudes uh, within your district, I'm wondering how that stance is being received. And, and again, I don't want to paint your district with too broad of a brush because I do recognize that, of course, you know, the, there is the urban area around Des Moines, and then there is the rural area in some of the other 12 counties. Um, but just generally speaking, when you say specifically a pathway to citizenship for uh, for immigrants already in the country, how is that received? Well, I, I think for the most part, uh, uh, fairly well. Uh, we've seen right here in Iowa where immigrants, uh, undocumented immigrants, are greatly benefiting our community. Uh, there is a well-known uh, congressman, Steve King, who is in District 4, yes, who is. consistently, <laughs> uh, who who uh, many times, uh, you know, points out uh, issues with immigrants, but right in his own backyard in Storm Lake is a wonderful example of how immigrants have really built up that community. Uh, they've built it up economically, uh, and they have uh, also to uh, their culture and their society there. Uh, it was a town that was uh, dwindling in population, and these immigrant families have come in. They have children. Uh, they've now built up a football team here in the Midwest. As many places in the country, Friday night football is mm -hmm. very popular. And so now they've got a football team that the, the community has really rallied around, so much so that the entire community chipped in to get new turf for the, the football field. Oh, wow. uh, so they've really brought a sense of community uh, to Storm Lake as well. So I think that that, that, that community is a really good representation of the benefits that Iowa has. It's helping uh, with our manufacturing industry. They're bringing new businesses to our main streets, uh, and they're bringing so much to the community that the community is now rallying uh, around them. Uh, so I think that Iowans uh, are open uh, to, uh, the, and Iowans have been. Uh, our previous Governor Robert Ray, a Republican, uh, several years back, uh, opened uh, Iowa up to uh, the Thais and Laotians uh, who didn't have a place to go. Uh, we were a very welcoming state. And I believe that deep down, Iowans are welcoming people, and they understand that uh, we need to give people an opportunity here in our country because it's not just great uh, for, uh, for, for, for those people, but also for our economy uh, and the people that live here in general. And I, again, hear you tying it in as an economic matter. And I do know that there is a fair amount of agriculture where you live, and it's just a, an economic fact in this country that the agriculture businesses, farms in this, in this country, they can't exist without migrant labor. And so I'm wondering if that informs your stance on this. Yeah, a absolutely. I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, w without our migrant labor, there there will be a significant loss of uh, efficiencies in production uh, within our agriculture community. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, so it's certainly something uh, that we benefit from as well. Um, and it ensures that our farmers and that have what they need to make sure that they get their crops to production. So uh, I absolutely, it's a it's a benefit for Iowans from that perspective. 
So let's switch over and talk about healthcare. This is particularly interesting because you've personalized this issue, and you've also spoken a great deal about what's going on, particularly in Iowa. You've said in interviews, you talk to small business owners who are quitting their small businesses to go back to work strictly for the insurance. You've heard stories of people leaving the state to get coverage. Also, people are leaving the ACA exchanges in record numbers. Um, You yourself personally got a notification from Aetna that you'd no longer be covered. Tell us why. What What is going on there in Iowa? Well, uh, a lot. Uh, first of all, uh, uh, Iowa privatized Medicaid, uh, which was not a good idea. It has really been very difficult for so many people to get the services that they need, and it was a really wrong choice to make. So the privatization of Medicaid was really, uh, really has put a big burden on our state. At the same time, our state government here, again, Republican government, refused $3.2 million of Planned Parenthood funding uh, on the values of uh, principle, uh, essentially, because we know that none of that funding can be used for abortions. Uh, what that did was close down four Planned Parenthood locations in this state, leaving thousands of people really without a health care provider uh, in their area. We're now looking at people who are driving over 100 miles just to get basic health care. Wow. Uh, at the same time, uh, the uh, Aetna, as you mentioned earlier, pulled out as the last uh, remaining carrier for the Affordable Care Act. And I'll point out that Congressman David Young, while they were pulling out, took a contribution from Aetna. So uh, as they pulled out, leaving tens of thousands of Iowans with no options other than a new company that stepped in at rates that are astronomical, uh, we're literally talking $3,000 a month for a family of four, twelve dollars to $1,600 for two people. Nobody can afford these rates. Yeah. Uh, so what we've seen then are people who are not insured. You brought up earlier uh, families that are leaving. Actually, my neighbors, uh, they have a young daughter uh, who is ill. Uh, she's had health issues since she was born. They they just moved to the state of Washington, uh, where you're from, uh, because they could not get the health care coverage that they needed here. So people literally are leaving the states. And and as you mentioned earlier, I have talked to small business owners who said they just can't uh, handle the cost of health care. And so they're uh, they're looking to close down their business and go back to work for an organization where they can get that health care. So we're seeing a lot of difficulty here. And, you know, you mentioned earlier my story. I get this. As a small business owner, my husband and I uh, couldn't get maternity coverage as part of an individual plan uh, about 14 years ago when we first started our business. And when we had our second son, who's now 13, We had to sell our personal items on eBay just to cover the cost of those medical bills. Yeah. And we can't go back to times like that where families are forced to make decisions between keeping food on the table and and keeping the lights on or making sure that their uh, family has the health care coverage that they need. And that's where the Republicans and David Young want to take us back to. So I want to make sure that we get out there and defend that so that everybody has access to affordable, effective care. Well, so you mentioned David Young, and uh, he did vote to gut the ACA uh, last year. And you said that that would make him vulnerable. And I believe that was in an interview from June or July of last year. That was before all of the many votes had happened around the issue. And I'm wondering, do you still see it that way? Do you, do you think that this is going to be something that he's, he's truly going to be vulnerable on as we get further and further away from that vote and closer and closer to November? 
Well, absolutely. I think there's a couple of factors why. First of all, uh, leaving uh, tens of thousands of Iowans with no opportunity for decent insurance uh, and putting them really in putting their livelihoods at stake is something we absolutely need to point out. But I think the other piece to that is that Congressman Young told Iowans he would vote against the health care bill. Uh, and his entire staff was telling people that. Uh, but when push came to shove, they needed a few more votes. He was one of the Congress people in the middle of the night that went and voted for the health care bill. Right. So here's our leader. This is our elected official who lied to Iowans, number one. And then secondly, is really uh, uh, working for his political party leadership. And I don't believe that that's the job of an elected official. An elected official should be working for their constituents. And it's why we're working so hard to be out and about uh, this entire district to hear about the issues. The job is to work for the people that live in your community and in your district, uh, not to represent political party leadership or special interests or corporations. And that's what David Young has been doing. So I think those things will resonate really clearly uh, with Iowans uh, when I run up against him in November. You talk about your district, and I know that you've been very, very active out and doing uh, meet and greets. You've done over 75 at this point, and we are recording on March 16th, so I know that number will grow. Um, Iowa's third district went for Obama in 2008 and 2012, but went for Trump uh, 49 to 45 in 2016. Um, There are in your district 164,000 registered Democrats, 175,000 Republicans, but 165,000 no party voters. Uh, That is according to the latest figures from the Iowa Secretary of State's office. So it is indeed a a swing district. Um, You need moderates. You need independents. You said you are a a pragmatic progressive. Um, So what are the issues that you're finding are connecting with uh, the more moderate and independent voters in your district? Well, ab- absolutely. Health care is one of them. Uh, what we really need to keep in mind here and that can really affect Iowans uh, is the fact that if the expanded Medicaid subsidies is a great example. Uh, if, uh, if we don't protect that within the Affordable Care Act uh, and we start to see those subsidies being taken away, we will really literally shutter the doors of our regional hospitals here mm-hmm. who receive 20 to 30 percent of their uh, revenue uh, from those subsidies. So if those begin to be pulled away, what happens is uh, people are laid off. Their family doesn't have the resources that they need. That contributes to the entire economy in that particular community. And then eventually the doors of that regional hospital shut. When that happens, that literally destroys a community here. In many cases, uh, our, our health centers and our public services, schools and uh, jobs for public servants are some of the uh, biggest, you know, those are mo- a lot of jobs in a lot of these communities. So when we take those away, we're really uh, putting a nail in the coffin on economic opportunity for them. So I'm looking at issues from the perspective of here's how it benefits you uh, it, it, and why it's so important for us to go out and defend uh, defend these things or or help uh, change the issues that uh, would be you know more beneficial for those particular communities. So healthcare is one that everybody's talking about. And again, uh, it's not just the right thing to do, but it's the best thing to do for those communities. Our education is another thing that everyone is talking about here. Uh, you know, at one point, uh, back when I was a little kid, uh, Iowa was ranked number one uh, when it came to education. 
we're not there anymore. As a matter of fact, we're well down, well below, you know, into the middle of the pack. And uh, that's something that Iowans aren't proud of. So right now, uh, as Betsy DeVos is out uh, in Washington diverting federal funding uh, from our public schools into a voucher program, when we only receive 8% of our school funding anyhow from the federal government, yeah. we're looking at a really small pot that she's pulling from. Uh, it's only going to hurt our schools. Right here in Iowa, you know, I grew up on the south side. Uh, and uh, tell us tell us what that means. Yeah. For those of us who are not from the district. Yeah. So so the south side uh, is uh, heavily populated uh, with a lot of immigrant families that came in, uh, a lot of Italians, uh, a lot of uh, Germans, uh, Hispanics. And uh, and so, uh, you know, it was very middle class, a middle class place. Uh, we're also seeing now some uh, attorney in many areas to lower middle class. The uh, elementary school that I went to, Lovejoy, uh, was very middle class at that point. I now know the principal of that school. She's a friend of mine. Uh, they're 99.9% uh, reduced free and lunch pro uh, reduced and free lunch programs. They have washers and dryers on site to make sure that uh, the kid the kids go home with clean clothes uh, on a weekly basis. Many of them need that. They work with parents uh, to make sure that they get to to work if they have a flat tire uh, or something like that. Because we know that if they don't go to work, they don't get paid for that day or they could possibly lose their job. And that just exacerbates the issues with the children in the school. So our schools are being asked to do so much, whether it's dealing with issues like that, dealing with mental health issues. And uh, and so we're really hurting here, uh, making sure that our, our K through 12 system, as well as our regents, which have now taken a huge cut in this current budget, uh, get, the, get the resources that they need because that's our future. Our kids are our future. It's why I fought for all-day kindergarten in my own community when I found out that half the kids lost a lottery and just got two and a half hours. And that's just not right. Uh, our public education system should be the great equalizer and everybody should have equal opportunity. And so we need to make sure that we address those issues so that every kid has opportunity and can rise up and uh, live life to their best, uh, best opportunity as they can, as they can get. And I imagine that these are some of the themes. And as, as I mentioned, you, you've done 75 meet and greets. Uh, these are some of the common themes that are coming up as you're out there talking to people, right? That's correct. Absolutely. We're seeing health care, uh, education, good paying jobs, uh, and many times here in Iowa, water quality. You know, we've talked about him a little bit, uh, particularly in terms of his uh, diminishing popularity. Uh, but Trump, uh, let's I, I sort of hate to end our discussion on him. But I do want to ask you, do you see attitudes shifting toward Trump in your district like they have uh, like we've seen elsewhere in the country? Oh, a absolutely. We're seeing people who aren't satisfied with what they're seeing. This is not what they expected. And quite honestly, I already have uh, several Republicans, uh, many Republicans supporting my campaign. Oh, really? Uh, and yeah, uh, because and basically they've said, uh, you, you know, you're smart, you're ethical and you know how to get things done. And we need that out in Congress. And, and they're not concerned about, you know, making sure that they follow a party line. They think it's a mess uh, what's happening out in Washington. They understand that it's greatly impacting our state and our district. And they're ready uh, to look uh, voting across party lines because they want somebody who will actually represent their needs. So I think we're definitely seeing that here in Iowa, uh, where people aren't happy with this administration and with what President Trump is doing. And uh, we're going to get, get uh, some votes, I think, because of that. You are running as a Democrat. And so I will ask you what I uh, ask every Democratic candidate who comes on my show, and that is, 
Given the fact that there has been an ideological split that uh, became very pronounced in 2016, there's a little disagreement on this. And so I'm curious to know what you see as core democratic values. Well, I, I truly believe the baseline of our, of, of our values as a democratic party is making sure that every single person has opportunity and that we raise everybody up. And I think that is probably one of the most important things that the Democrats should be talking about, that our goal is to ensure that every single person uh, is able to live life to the best of their uh, ability, uh, that within our communities there is equality so that they can continue to grow. Uh, you know, I'm working with uh, some of our supporters on issues around health. Why is it that within uh, the same zip code, we can have a difference of a 10-year lifespan because of the community environment around them? So somebody has access to good, clean food, opportunity for a job and transportation to get there, uh, the ability to afford a home uh, that actually has good heat, electricity, and provides good shelter. Uh, it's not right. Uh, that within our communities there are people that have these opportunities and others don't. And I think as Democrats, we really need to stand behind that idea that we all do better when everybody does better. And that's really one of the key things that I'm pushing, uh, making sure that people understand the value in raising every single person up because there's benefit to them. Uh, the, and so I think that's, that's something that as Democrats we need to push. Uh, we also need to push the fact that uh, we've been behind uh, so many things that have made this country better, uh, whether, uh, you know, whether it's unions who have made sure that uh, there's a standard work week right. that we get. We get weekends. Vacation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah benefits, all of those things, those come from uh, Democrat administrations. And, and we need to point out the fact that these are things that have helped people live better lives. And, uh, there's, and, and I think it's important that we go back to those statements and make sure people understand that's been a priority for our party all along. And it's something that I'm really pushing. So if people are liking what they are hearing, uh, I know that every campaign needs volunteers. Certainly, uh, donations are crucial, and we will make sure that there is a link to your website for that. Uh, but in terms of volunteer needs, what does your campaign need specifically? What can people do? Well, absolutely. Uh, calling for our campaign, uh, canvassing for our campaign. Uh, come to Iowa. Summers are nice here if you feel like it. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, so we could definitely use that. Certainly outreach via social media is always incredibly beneficial. Uh, to your point, the most important thing uh, is funding. Uh, I'm running up against David Young. He is the third largest recipient of NRA funding in the House. Wow. Uh, 80% of his contributions from come from corporations and special interests. Uh, so this guy has deep pockets. They're not representative of Iowa, but nonetheless, he's got money. So we're competing against that. So that's always something that we, we really need. But certainly outreach, uh, social media outreach, uh, coming to help with canvassing and calling, as I mentioned, are all incredibly beneficial. And certainly spreading spreading the words with your friends. Uh, there's a lot of places around this country uh, that fortunately are in safe uh, blue seats. And we'd love to see if you want to help out, help out in flipping some of these other seats so that we can get a balance back in Congress, or I'd love to see a majority. Abs I, we would absolutely all like to see a majority in, <laughs> in both chambers. So, well, Cindy Axney, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and uh, best of luck with the campaign. Well, thanks so much, Stefan. I really appreciate the time. 
And that'll do it for today's show. Cindy Axney's website is cindyaxneyforcongress.com, and that is C-I-N-D-Y-A-X-N-E. You can find the link on the SoundCloud page and also at indivisiblepodcast.org. As I said at the top, if you have a candidate that you would like to hear profiled on the show, please hit us up at indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at indivisiblepod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. The executive producer is Aaron Albanese. Thank you again to my guest, Cindy Axney, and special thanks to Joe Diver for his help. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.